Imposter Syndrome is brought to you by Fake Bake, an award-winning company offering premium self-tanning products to help you achieve a stunning, natural-looking color without subjecting your skin to the damages of the sun. Fake Bake believe that you shouldn't have to sacrifice the health of your skin to get a rich, natural bronze. That's why Fake Bake have created revolutionary self-tanning products that contain no parabens. I love Fake Bake because it gives you a flawless tan and you feel and look like a Hollywood superstar, which is fabulous, of course. And in the early days of lockdown, I used it for all my Zoom calls where I looked healthy and glowing. Just go to fakebake.com, check out their fabulous range of products, including Flawless Self-Tan Liquid, the best sunless tanning product for a quick, easy and effective at-home tan. It also features a tropical black coconut scent, which is delicious. I know you'll fall in love with it. Now you can get the best tan without exposing your skin to potential damage. Oh, and you also get a free luxurious mitt that's included too. Just go to fakebake.com and get your glow with Fake Bake and just fake it. Social anxiety syndrome, better known as imposter syndrome, is a real thing. It comes in many guises and can be relentless at blindsiding people, and you'd be surprised by who it affects. I'm Nick Ede, and welcome to Imposter Syndrome. In this series, I'll be speaking to some of the most successful and talented people in the public eye who suffer from this modern phenomenon. So, I mean, this is the bit that makes me feel more of an imposter than anything, is I hate writing. I hate writing comedy. That's my guest today, Matt Richardson. Matt is a successful comedian, TV presenter and radio DJ. He hit the big league when he took over from Ollie Murs on The Extra Factor and is a regular contributor on many TV panel shows. He bubbles over with enthusiasm and energy and seems confident in everything that he does. But his new show is called Imposter, so maybe not all is what it appears to be. Thank you, first of all, for doing this. Absolutely brilliant. And the reason why I, I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome is I think that so many people have it and they don't really talk about it, but every single person in, in, you know, around the world has it. And I just think it's so interesting. Obviously, you are a brilliant comedian and you've actually got um, a show coming out, is that right, called Imposter? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was sort of halfway through the tour before the world went mad. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it sort of, it's a weird thing because... Um, I I assumed imposter syndrome only existed in um you know the kind of jobs that you and I do these kind of unusual slightly mediary wishy-washy kind of lovey jobs um but yes. it turns out I've got a friend who is um, I've got a friend who is a doctor and they they said to me when I was talking about imposter syndrome they were like oh no yeah I've I've got no idea what I'm doing I'm just blagging <laughs> it and I'm like wow 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 like I understand me thinking I'm blagging it but I want <laughs> And it's this horrible realization you have in life that I think everyone feels like they're just about getting by in every aspect of their life, just waiting to get caught. Yeah, and no one crazy? talks about it. Yeah, it's and mad. No one talks because I've got I've got a friend who's a pilot who does the you know the big Airbuses. Yeah, yeah. And he's like he's like Nick. I'm there every few days. Dry, you know 
in a plane, not in a moment, obviously, but in a plane, yeah. making sure that people are going to be safe, that my life is in there. Like you said about the doctor, my life is in their hands and I don't know what the hell I'm actually doing. And I'm like, they're looking fabulous, feeling great. Got, you know, feels a bit like that film, remember with Leonardo DiCaprio, Chat to Me If You Can. Oh, yeah, And he's sitting there going, I'm actually in control and this is the most crazy thing. You stand up and you're a lecturer at, say, Oxford or Cambridge and you're teaching all these people amazing things and you actually, she must sit there and go am I right for this job am I am I really doing the right thing and I'm sure you feel it a lot of the time all that all the time every day I still feel like so I've been doing comedy I've been doing comedy for t- 10 years now I've been doing stand-up mm-hmm. and I've been doing it as my job for like just uh, about eight years I've been doing yeah. it full time. like my profession has been comedy and I've been doing television for like six years seven years and like but I'm still like every time I do anything even now I'll walk on stage at a gig and it'll be a tour date where people have bought tickets to see me rather than like a comedy club and they're all really excited and I know I've done the show a hundred times before I know it's good and I walk on and I'll be like what on earth do you think you're doing what is <laughs> this little voice in my head going why do you think this is going to work you're you have no idea what you're doing it's a horrible feeling just just before you're meant to go on so and you never feel like like you know there's loads of comedians i look up to and you're like oh my god they know exactly what they're doing they're so they've got it so sus they're brilliant and then you go when will i ever feel like how i perceive them to be um, and when you, will that be, or would you think that ever? I, I, you see, I think no matter who you are, no matter how old you you get, I don't think anybody gets over this weird syndrome, do they? You know what? So when you first start and you're kind of gigging with pro comics, it's sort of it's okay. But it's when I started to do gigs with really famous people that you go, mm. oh my god, it's all of us. So last year I was hosting a charity comedy gig, um, uh, it, and it was an, um, the lineup was ri- like ridiculous. Like Joe Brand was on, Alan Carr was on, all these amazing people. Amazing. And Alan Carr was about to go on, and Nina Conti was on before him. Mm-hmm. You know who does the the yeah, 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 who's amazing. And she was having like everyone was having a really good gig, and we were stood by the side of the stage. I was waiting to go on to introduce Alan, and he went to me. He went, "Oh my god, she's doing too well." She's like, "I can't follow this." And I looked at him, <laughs> and I genuinely went, "I went, mate, you're Alan Carr." I was like, "You sold out the O2 <laughs> Arena X amount of times, and you're worried about doing ten minutes to 400 people because Nina's having a good gig and he went yeah but but I don't have anything as good as what she's doing and I was just there going oh my god like you're a multi-millionaire you're absolutely at the top of your game and you're still going oh like I'm not sure I can do this it's like um it's like realizing that a magician isn't impressed by his own tricks you know that's sort of the feeling it has I think in comedy yeah totally and I think it must be even the same when you're a chef it's like you're the best chef in the world and you still ask people does it taste good is it okay and unless obviously you're gordon ramsay and you don't give a shit about anything and you think you're pretty anyway you say that i I, um years ago my dad uh ate at gordon ramsay's restaurant and he did the chef's table thing at one of his really nice restaurants and he was there and they'd had a massive problem with the food not being quite right and um they said that my dad was like i he's never met anyone in any business who was so apologetic and so keen to fix the wrong as gordon ramsay so i think the problem is is you know in in a performing job or a chef you're reliant on people liking you or liking Mm -hmm. what you've given them you know like if it's food or jokes or a performance and that's that's unhealthy really because Mm -hmm. you know it's not like i've got this skill i'm a great carpenter i've got this thing i've learned over years that you can be you know the best comedian in the world if the audience for whatever reason don't like you it's absolutely grim and it is really gutting like no one can weather you know, 400 people staring at you blankly. So it makes you feel like a sham. So how do you, how do you circumnavigate that? How do you get over that? And when you're on stage, how do you kind of like convince yourself that, yeah, it's okay. I'm allowed to be here. 
Well, you know what? It's um, it's that thing of I think it's just repetition. I think I've done it for so long now, and I've done it so many times that if it's going badly or if it's going on on actually it's this weird thing of like if it goes fine like if i have a solid gig like i do the job they have a nice time it doesn't really bother me i'm like yep cool good at my job whatever it's if it goes amazingly well or amazingly badly both those ends of the spectrum i really struggle with so if i'm having a terrible gig and i can't turn it round in any way i feel like a sham but if mm. i'm having a gig that like i'm ripping the roof off and like it couldn't be going better everything's working totally perfectly like that makes me feel like a sham because i'm like i'm not this good like come on guys like <laughs> you need to calm it down like so if you're like in the middle of the road and doing fine it's all right it's the two opposite ends that make it feel weird when you're on stage but also like yeah, I think it's that thing of um, what makes you feel like you should belong there. I think it's just experience. Like I've done it for so long now and I've done all the gigs I do. You know, I've done them all before. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. not my first time anyway. Like I know. And it's this weird thing. I remember very, a very long time ago and, you know, I did just before she got famous. I was doing a gig with Sarah Millican. So this is maybe like 2011, mm-hmm. like just before she was huge. And I went on at this comedy club and I really struggled. And then she went on after me and she was amazing. And I said to her, I was like, how, like, what's the difference? What did I get wrong that you got so right in this gig? And she said, she went, I've really struggled here 10 times before. So I've got that experience of doing badly to put into my next time where I do a bit better and a bit better and a bit better. And that is true. There are gigs that I've done now that I did it, you know, the first few times I did them, I really struggled there, but I've worked out how they work so I can now do them well. And it is just the boring thing of the more you do it, the better you get, I suppose. I suppose the, I suppose the other thing too with, with comedy as well is that you have, yeah, as you said, you have to read the room and yeah. you can sort of manipulate things and you've got, you obviously write your own jokes so you know that you can maybe change it for some of the people that you see in front of you, et cetera. Was sometimes I think it must be really hard for like, if, as an actor to be, you know, reading off a script and have to deliver every single day exactly the same thing on the west end it must be crazy well you know what i think i think the weird thing with being in a play is um if you are an actor in the west end is um you can't change gear to change a gig so i've been to see shows in the west end that i've thought i've seen them a couple of times and the first time i've seen them say it's a comedy the audience have really laughed and really gone for it and then the second time i've seen it the audience haven't really gone for it but Mm. on stage the actors have to stick to the play whereas mm. if a gig isn't going my way like say if there's a certain thing like you know i'm i'm pretty rude on stage like I, I talk you know my stuff's pretty rude and they're not really going for that i've got half an hour of not rude material that i can <laughs> like within two minutes i can go right they're not going for that so i'm going to dip into this other stuff and change it totally as i go and i can live edit myself or i can chat to i can chat to the audience and try and warm them up and you know i can drop everything and pick up something else and yeah. use a different tool whereas if you're an actor and the audience aren't going for it you've just got to get, you've just got to do it still i don't know because I, I went to drama school i never yeah. forget in my last in my last year we were doing comedy of errors and then we did uh, we did hamlet and honestly my tutor was like you know nick you're really could but you can't like ham up hamlet you know because i used to just do everything for a laugh so i used to be i used to do everything for a laugh so yeah was, but beth i'd be like hi guys like that you know like totally <laughs> take taking it in a different direction and that's I think that's why I never actually pursued acting well but you, you've probably got you you've probably got the personality that would make you quite a good stand-up then because yeah. 
um, you you want the aud- you want the audience to have a good time regardless exactly. of the what you're reading. Uh-huh. So you're like, right, okay, they 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 want it. They're feeling a bit fidgety, so I'm going to really ham up this bit and put a bit of comedy in it, which actors aren't allowed to do really if they're reading <laughs> look, Shakespeare. Whereas as a comic, you you know you can really ham up certain parts of your personality, or mm. if an audience really go for something, like you know, for example, sometimes the audience love it when you take the mick out of them. They absolutely adore that. That's all they want you to do. And if you're, you know, on stage as a stand-up, you're free to do as much of that or as little of that as you like. Mm-hmm. So it's a really nice position to be in because all you're trying to do is you're on stage for 20 minutes in a club or on tour a bit longer. All your interest is is making those people laugh as much as possible for that amount of time. And it doesn't matter how you do it. Like there's no one, at a, there's no one backstage at a club going, well, actually, you um you didn't do enough material. You did too much banter there. Like that just isn't how it is. Yeah. So you know you're much more free than when you're acting and doing Shakespeare. So you should have tried stand up. I should have. You know, the, the the one thing I did do was I I played Lenny Bruce and I okay. absolutely loved it because yeah. I found I find I found his character as a human being just the most amazing story. But also yeah. I really enjoyed the fact that you're saying these things which are so on PC and the reaction is either some sniggers or people really laughing and I I kind of. I did see, I, I, that's kind of the big thing I love most about being at drama college was doing that play. But you yeah. know, how did you, how did you get into it? Because obviously I always think it's quite, you, it comes from what place did comedy come from you and how did you get into it? I got into it. So I was always as a teenager, like really into stand up. Like I used to go and see, I grew up in Oxfordshire and I used to go and see like in Oxford, I used to go and see Jimmy Carr and Russell oh, Howard okay. and all those people when they were touring loads with my friends. And, um, and I went to university and I really didn't enjoy it. It wasn't for me. Um, But there was a little comedy night. So I went to the comedy night. And then at the end, they're like, if you ever want to give it a go, just email the promoter. You know, it's on the Facebook event or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bloody do it. Because I'd always dreamt of one day maybe being able to be a comedian. Um, And that's how I started. I emailed then. And two weeks later, I was doing my first gig. And so did you, you wrote all your stuff. How did you get inspiration for your your routines? So, I mean, this is the bit that makes me feel more of an imposter than anything is I hate writing. I hate writing comedy. Like some comics love writing a new show. I find it really hard work. So um, I, I, yeah, like most of my stuff is quite anecdotal. So it's like family, things that happen and you just sort of embellish it and embellish it. And I try loads of stuff out on stage and kind of go, well, that worked a bit, but I'll get rid of that bit and then add this little extra bit for next time and slowly piece it together rather than sitting down and like writing jokes on my computer. Um, But yes, that's how I do it. Imposter syndrome is brought to you by Fake Bake. Fake Bake believes that you shouldn't have to sacrifice the health of your skin to get a rich, natural bronze tan. That's why Fake Bake have created revolutionary self-tanning products that contain no parabens. Just go to fakebake.com to check out their fabulous range of products, including Flawless Self-Tan Liquid, the best sunless tanning product for a quick, easy, and effective at-home tan. Just go to fakebake.com and get your glow with Fake Bake and just fake it. So, I mean, how did you get into TV? Because, I mean, I got into TV in the biggest imposter way possible, Matt. I basically went, I was at Shine Television working as a runner. And I was, I was 30, giving up my job and everything. And I was like, I really want to be on TV. I really want to be Dale Winton. And I basically, I got a job. Um, on the Russell Grant show, you know, the astrologer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was a runner for him. And then one day, uh, one of the his co-hosts was off and they, I basically said, I'll do it. And then they said, 
okay. And I suddenly am finding myself on a daytime show every day on Sky One. And I, w- I suddenly became his co-host for a year. Amazing. It was, mo- it was the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. But also every day I was there going, I should be just in the background making tea. And then suddenly I'm going, da-da. And you're, in a, you're an Aquarius with the Taurus rising. How did, <laughs> how did you get into it? So I was, uh, by the time I got into telly, I was 21 when I got into telly. And I was, so I've been doing stand-up for about three years, uh, doing it professionally for like maybe 18 months. Um, And and I was at at the Edinburgh Festival in 2012 and doing a two-header show with a comedian called Angela Barnes. She's very good, as you know, a very good career. Um, And who now hosts the the news quiz on Radio 4. She's much Mm -hmm. more highbrow than me. Um, (laughs) And we're doing the show and someone from ITV2, one of the commissioners just came to our show to watch because we were kind of like two up-and-coming comedians and about six months later I didn't even know they were there until afterwards about six months later um I got an email going hey um uh they really want you to go in for a meeting about the extra factor and I was like um okay fine I'm up for that thinking I'd go in to maybe do like a bit on there as a comedian you know like as Rob Beckett used to do on the jungle that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and I went in for this meeting and they sat down with me, the, the executive producer, and I'd never been for a screen test or anything before. I'd never even been on television at this point. Like I'd, I was doing kind of loads of stand up and that kind of stuff, but not this world. And I sat for this meeting and, um, and they went, OK, so we're looking to replace Ollie Murs on The Extra Factor. And I went, OK. And they went, and, you know, we're interested in you. Like, ITV seemed like they really like you, this commissioner. So um, what do you think? And I basically sat there and moaned about everything I thought was wrong with their show and how I would make <laughs> it better. Because I was like, they're not going to put someone on this kind of big spin-off show that has never made television before. So I'm just going to use this as like a good meeting experience. And then, and then about two weeks later, they were like, oh, they'd like to come in and do a screen test with Caroline Flack. Okay. And I was like, OK. I'll go and do it. And once again, in the screen test, I was like, well, this is great experience. What a really good thing to go and do. So I sort of mucked around in the screen test a bit and like just had a really good laugh. And then about three weeks after that, they called and they were like, well, Caroline kept in touch with me and she was like, oh, really liked you. Think you're really good, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, then, and then about three weeks after they got in touch, they went, oh, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, all right, then fine. But at the time, like, this is how much of a blag it was. So I'd never done any telly. I was still living at home with my mum and dad. I was still living at home with my parents. Um, I'd like had a real job maybe a year before still. So I was the closest they could get to giving the job to a man off the street. I love it. I love it. And like, it was just bizarre. Like this kind of whole thing where like I'd never, and then all of a sudden you're sort of thrust into this mental world. And I think probably because I didn't slowly build up to that kind of first big thing, I probably feel like more of an imposter because it came on If I'm honest, looking back, probably came two or three years too early. Yeah. Because you kind of, they're there going, Oh my God, I've got big you know, shoes to fill, but also yeah. you, you have to deliver. It's live television. It's every, it's the Absolutely. biggest show on TV. It's that must've been insane for you. Did you, I mean, and that is when you either have to, you either sink or swim, you have to go into that flight fight or flight mode. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And also it was, the, it's, it's that kind of thing of, I was really lucky because, um, you know, Caroline, who we were very, very good friends for uh, uh, all the time after that. Um, she really sort of took me under her wing and went, look, no one's going to tell you how to do this, but I'm ha- I want to, because I really wanted you to do this. I'm part of the reason you're here. So I feel a responsibility to look after you and teach you, which was super useful. But mostly, like, I think the fact I was a bit rough around the edges was kind of, was quite like was quite good maybe because I wasn't trying to be anything that I wasn't. So I think mm-hmm. um, a lot of the people who'd screen tested were like trying to be Ollie Murs and flirt with Caroline and do all these things, which I wasn't interested in doing because that wasn't my style or what I was wanted mm-hmm. to, I never wanted to be a presenter really. It, I sort mm-hmm. of fell into it. But, um, but yeah, like you've just got to, 
you just sort of crack on really i suppose that's the thing is everyone doesn't feel like they should be there but no one ever taps out do they no one ever goes guys i'm really sorry but i i shouldn't be here you just carry on until you get caught out and none of us ever do so after that uh, that russell grant i suddenly i got the job as the head judge on project runway amazing i, mean, I was like how have i got this job but you're sitting there and you're watching all these fashion i love fashion but i'm like i'm not a designer i'm no. not a stylist but suddenly i got I got the job and you sit there and you, as, as you say, no one actually says anything about, about it apart from you having going home going, was I okay? And they're like, yeah, the commissioners loved it. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? Is, it? And it's, it's this weird thing of, I remember the first time, a perfect example of this. I remember when I started doing stand up, all I wanted to do was um, get like, be paid. I remember the first time I got paid 25 pounds to do a gig down in, um, down in Chichester. <laughs> um, and I remember getting there going, oh my God, I can't believe, I'm not good enough to get 25 pounds for this. Like, I can't believe they've booked me to do 20, to, to like, I, I remember thinking like such a blagger that I was getting 25 quid. <laughs> but that feeling, it just, the thing that you're blagging, it gets bigger and bigger. So like now mm. I would be offended if someone went, oh, we'll give you 25 quid. I'd be like, I think you'll find out. I've been around for long enough to be more than that. But then, <laughs> but now like, I remember the first time I did like a corporate awards do, I was like, I can't believe they're paying me so much money and all this kind of stuff. And, but you just, you're, I think you always feel like a you always feel like an imposter maybe because your goalposts change. So, mm -hmm. you know, the thing that like five years ago, the things that made me feel like I was blagging it aren't the things that make me feel like I'm blagging it because you're trying to move on and move forward always. Mm -hmm. So um, so with that Project Runway thing, yeah, you get there and you're like, oh my God, I'm so not the person they should have hired. But then once you've done that, you've done it. So you're qualified. Yeah, yeah, qualified. Then you go so on to, yeah, other things. Go on to something else that you go, well, I'm not qualified for this, but I was actually, and I was qualified for that. So fuck it, I'll give it a go. And it's that nice kind of <laughs> progression in life. It's like, it's like basically you're, it's a CV you're creating and you go, just nobody, nobody has to look back and yeah. find out whether you, nobody has to, on your CV, you don't want any referees because you don't know who to ask. Absolutely. And it's just that, you know, and you look back and you go, oh, Alina, I look back at things I'm doing going, oh my God, I thought I wasn't quite, I shouldn't have been doing that at the time. I shouldn't have been doing that either. But you think about it for everything. So you go, oh, maybe I should have been. But the, uh, there's one comic who um, I, I'll, I'll remain, they'll remain nameless. Not that it's a horrible story, but I don't think it's fair for me to out them. But I remember... <laughs> Many years ago, I was doing, um, I was doing a, a really nice gig with another comedian who is now, I'd say we started out about the same time and he's very, he's very well known now. And, um, and we, I was like, oh my God, we're getting paid like 300 pounds each at the time, which was like the biggest gig we've ever mm. been paid for. And, um, and I said to him, I was like, oh my God, can you believe they're paying us to do this gig? And he went, why wouldn't they? He goes, we're both good. Like, why would you be questioning <laughs> that? And I was like, oh my God, I would love to have that mindset. Of going, that well, confidence. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Like, he probably has a much less anxiety fueled life than I do because I worry about everything of if I'm good enough or if I'm worthy of it. Whereas he was just like, well, we're good. Why wouldn't they? Like, out of anyone, they've got to pick someone. Why wouldn't it be us? And it was so refreshing that I wish I was like that. See, I'm exactly the same. I had one of, one of the judges that I had. Say, oh, my God, you look great. Instead of saying, oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, you look great too. He would just go, I know. <laughs> like, oh, okay. This has stopped in my tracks. Like, okay, you know, you look good. Great. And it's that thing of like, it's it's <laughs> it's it's almost like it's almost an American way of being. I think this kind of yeah, of, yes. of course, yeah. Like, I'm good. Like, why why? It's so British. Like this. I'm sorry, but this podcast I don't think would fly with American celebrities because they're all like, "What do you mean, imposter?" Like, of course it's me. Of course it's me. Whereas, <laughs> exactly. Whereas British people are like, "Oh God, I can't believe I've gotten away with this somehow." Like we in our heads, we're all like bloody chimney sweeps that have just exactly. gotten away with it. So um, I remember a year, many years ago, I went out with 
I went out with this girl and um, she was perfectly nice and like lovely but she once said to me she was like the thing is though like I know by standard convention like I'm very good looking (laughs) and and she wasn't being she wasn't being arrogant she was just going like it would be it would be remiss of me to go oh no that's not me she goes like she goes by what society like I am I am really good looking and it was just like yeah I mean you are like but there was this kind of like ickiness about admitting it because we're all like, oh, well, no, you know, I'm a bit of a funky looking guy. Um, and it's, you know, it's that kind of, we sort of have this honour in not feeling like we deserve it almost sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. We want to have that badge of honour of going, we're nearly oh. there, but not there oh, God. yet. Well, like, so um, a guy I started out with, my, my friend Ramesh, I started doing comedy with, oh, yeah. we started at the same time. And he is now probably the biggest comedian in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, I remember when he was a maths teacher and we were still doing gigs together then. And, and um, he, he's just done, I think, 12 nights at the Hammersmith Apollo, which is 40,000 40, tickets just in London. Insane. And he's done, you know, he's been on like Late Night with um, Stephen Colbert in America. Like he's got his career over there. He's like been nominated for a BAFTA. Um, the last time I spoke to him, I was like, oh, how's the tour going? And he went, mate, it's shit. It's not good enough. Like the show's not good enough. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, mate? I was like, I'm struggling to sell 300 tickets in London and you're selling 40,000. And he's still sat backstage going, that was shit. And I went to see him on this tour and I was like, mate, smashed it. And he was fucking brilliant because he's absolutely amazing. And he was like, no, it wasn't good enough. I'm like... How are you being like this? This is so... And I'm looking at going, mate, if I was as good as you, I don't think I'd be like this, but I probably would be. You probably would. You pro- yeah, I'm sure absolutely. You would. Absolutely, I would be. It's just <laughs> wild, isn't it? It's crazy. And I think nowadays, I think obviously with social media and Twitter and Instagram and comments, things like the Daily Mail, all that kind of stuff, I think that changes it too, because it's almost like you've got a whole new audience who you are having to go and and sort of communicate to and they are coming right back at you if they like you or they don't like you i'm sure in tv especially with like absolutely extra factor must be really difficult I, i mean to be fair it's it's still now like people get in touch the problem is is with the kind of jobs like you know like you being on television and me being on television and doing comedy the point of being good at it is you make it look like it's easy yes (laughs) <laughs> so quite okay. often like you'll do, especially and also with com with comedy and people's sense of humor people take people take um not finding something funny personally i find so if you don't like something like if you don't like a drama you go oh yeah i didn't like it whereas if you don't find something funny you don't understand why other people do so it's almost like an insult to you so mm. people get quite aggressive like i've had low thousands of messages over the years from people being like um you know oh you, i can't even believe anyone thinks you're funny how have you even managed this and you're just like well that says more about you than it does about me because like if i don't like if i don't find something funny i go it's for someone else it's just not for me um but I guess that does, it does great on you a bit, but in the end, you sort of just accept it's about them. It's not yeah, about yeah, it's you. About them. But I do think, I do think that people can take that sort of on board quite a lot because those comments can be quite brutal, but I think you just, uh, you have to be peers more than just block everybody. Yeah. Well, but you know what? Like I've been, I think for me, it's mellowed out over the years, like, especially because mm. like, I've been around for a while now. So I think like people have had, people have made up their mind if, if I'm their thing or not. Like if yeah. you watch, if you watch digital channels around between like 8 PM and 1 AM, like you've probably <laughs> caught me. You, so, you know, you've got, so I'm not a fresh opinion. So you're not like, who's this guy? Like when I started, yes. it was, who is this idiot? Whereas now it's, Oh, it's that idiot. So, it's that idiot. <laughs> so people are aware of you, so they're less upset about it. But the one that made me laugh recently is um, I, had, I had coronavirus a few weeks ago. Uh, not badly, like I was fine, but I put oh. something about it on Instagram. 
And of course, the, da- the Daily Mail wrote an article about me having it. And the comments underneath, it was just hundreds of people being like, who gives a fuck? And just <laughs> like, I didn't put it up to get that. But I'm like, but you, like, I wouldn't read something and then go, I'm going to tell everyone I don't care. Because as soon as you've told me you don't care, I think you probably care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They all Be do it good care. or bad. So it's sort of this, it's, you know, I think reality stars have it awful. And I think mm. I really feel for people that work on Love Island and uh, TOWIE and stuff like that, because it's, you know, Bobby Norris has just been putting up videos about how vile people are about him and about his sexuality and all these, stuff, all these things. And Bobby is really lovely. Like he's a really nice bloke. And I've always found him to be, super pleasant and super charming and he's being picked on for things that he's got a job that yeah it's it's an unusual job that puts him on a reality show and people are like sending him death threats mm. like it's, it's just it's a bit of telly do you know what i mean like it's on itvb it's easy enough to avoid if you want to avoid Towie. like you you don't need to be angry about this but i think that's more you've just as i've gotten a bit older and kind of been in it a long time you just go that's more about them than it is about me keith keith lemon i think has got this quote i read in an interview where he said the thing with people being horrible about you online is they couldn't do your job whereas you'd probably be better than them at theirs <laughs> that's such a good i'm gonna keep that one that's a yeah good which is i Love think it. it's a really good point like yeah you could probably go and do their job but they absolutely couldn't do yours but because you're so good at it they think they can because you they make it look easy yeah and they want to and they want to kind of like feel that they're part of that and they they just can't really absolutely do it. and also like you know everyone we've like when i watch things i don't like maybe i'm more sensitive to it because i'm in the business and mm. but if i like you know i've seen a lot of things that people rave about and i'm just like i really just like i find this actually really not good at all i just sit there and i just change the channel like i don't i don't decide everyone needs to know mm-hmm. and i think that's a totally. really that's a very like i would have loved to have been on telly in the 90s where people would only stop you in the street to say they liked you because no one's got the balls to say they hate <laughs> you in the street no one's, no, no one's tapping you on the shoulder to go excuse me i think you're awful exactly. if you see I've seen celebrities out and about that I don't like their work, like their band or whatever. And I just go, oh, there's that guy from that band. I don't even think I hate that band. I just go, oh, that's that guy from that band. Um, but because of the internet, all of a sudden, you, you air this, this opinion, which is really strange, I suppose. And as you say, it's a keyboard warrior because they're behind a screen, so you're never actually going to see them face to face. Absolutely. It's it is, it's, it is, it's really strange. And I think it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people, if you took you know, like talking about being imposters, there's this sort of character I think a lot of people play online. If you took them a printout of their tweets and Instagrams where they've been horrible and you go, do you believe, and you sat the people that they said they were about, they go, do you actually believe this? They'll go, no, not really. Like I'm not that bothered, but I just thought I would say this to keep up this appearance that I've decided I'm going to have. Yeah, yeah, because they're creating their own persona as if they're angry. I mean, if you, I mean, obviously, Katie Hopkins is an extreme example, but she's somebody who is making this huge persona of being this most awful human being. But in real life, I'm sure there aren't really like. Have you have you ever met her? I've never met her. No. So I've I've worked with Katie Hopkins. (laughs) Okay. Before she was, so this is post um post this morning where she started getting okay. attention about kids names and stuff but pre-racist okay um a sort of in that perfect middle school <laughs> was she was absolutely delightful she was charming she was funny super intelligent we we're doing big brothers bit on the side together she was sat there making notes being professional about being an asshole but being professional about it mm-hmm. and for her it was just i think she just gone you know she was a woman in her 40s she wasn't going to get her kit off so what what other avenues are there for women in television there aren't mm-hmm. that many unfortunately mm-hmm. so she's gone i'm going to be the villain 
And she decided to do that and make a lot of money. And I think she's ended up disappearing into it and taking it way too far. But she was lovely. And I think that's probably worse, the fact it's not real. Yeah, exactly. It's Morally, that's even know. worse than actually, I am a racist. I know, exactly. At least you could have courage and new convictions, at least. Yeah, so <laughs> well. I think... So even then, you know, it, it, it still doesn't feel real. It still feels like she's putting something on and that isn't the mm. woman she is. I find that, I just find it so interesting. And when, when I'm walking, when I'm talking to some of my friends about some imposter syndrome, every single person I know, some well-known friends are talking about it. Like Camilla Dallarap, you know, from, who yes. was on Strictly Come Dancing, she was saying to me that when she was, you know, winning it, she still was like, how have I won this dance show? And she's like, oh yeah, right, I'm a dancer. Forget, because you forget that's that's actually yeah. your skill. Who would you like to be if you could if, if you could be an imposter and be somebody else for the day? Who would that oh be? Oh my God, and that's why? such a good question. I would be, I'll tell you who I would be. I would be Harry Styles. Ah, okay. Just because he's sure. basically the coolest man on the planet. And I don't, and I just love to look like that for 24 hours. And get away with it. <laughs> and just get away with it. I might not even sleep with people. I'd just look at myself in the mirror. I'd just be like, look, I'm... And also, would I st if I still had my personality, you wouldn't have imposter syndrome because you'd be like, well, I'm here for a day. I mean, let's go for it. Let's, let's go wild. I mean, yeah. that is the dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'd just be someone really handsome and rich so I could just be like, yep. Yeah. And I wouldn't be an imposter. I wouldn't be like, oh, no, I'm Harry Stiles. Oh, thanks for the compliments. I'd be like, yeah, too right, I'm complimenting you. Shall all 10 of us go and have sex now? Like, just, <laughs> you know, like I'd just really live it if I was in someone else's body. No, you'd have to. I think even people at the mega levels, like, I reckon Oprah must feel some insecurity about her position. Oh, completely, completely. I think she, I mean, she's God. And of course, <laughs> she rules the world, but I think she must feel insecure all the time. I'm, I'm you probably know, but I'm good friends with Eva Longoria, the actress. And oh, well, oh no, I, I did not know that at all. She, Amazing. She and I talk about this quite a lot because she's like, when she did started out on Desperate Housewives, you know, she became an overnight sensation, mega star, a mega star. And she's like, babe, I was like, I just didn't, I was just an actress, you know, Latina girl, and then suddenly I become a you know, sex symbol, and all these guys around the world, and the biggest show, getting paid a million dollars an episode, it was insane. And she's like, I have it every day. And she still does. She said, I feel it every day. And it's, well, it's amazing. It's this weird thing as well. I think with show business, your fortunes can change incredibly quickly. So, mm -hmm. you know, in a normal job, you apply for a, you apply for a promotion and um, you, you know, you get it. It's a bit more money. You slowly work your way up the ladder. Whereas in showbiz, you know, the difference between me being a circuit comedian earning not really much money at all and me earning really good money was probably a year where it kind of all changed, where, where I went from living with my parents to, you know, flying flying everywhere really nicely and all that kind of stuff was a really short amount of time which i think makes it more because it doesn't slowly eke away i think that's why you feel like more of an imposter because only yesterday you were working in next still mm -hmm. you yeah, know I, I went from i went from working in next to you know my, my girlfriend now sam like um to going out with the girl on the front of the catalog in about two years and like that <laughs> which is which is mad like well, that, that's a thing that happened like that's mental um, to go back into a shop where your friends still work there and they're like how's life and you're like oh well i go out with her now <laughs> and yeah. it, so it's so but because it's such a short amount of time that happens over that's why i think everyone's like i can't fucking believe it i was just like eva longoria she's probably like a jobbing actress and it was just another it probably wasn't even like, this is the thing that's going to make me massive. No, it was just a job to It her. was just something that comes up. And like the things that make you successful quite often in showbiz aren't the things you expect. 
Exactly. And I think I think the other thing you're saying as well is that about longevity and that when you are in the public eye or when you're in the show business world, you've got to think about that whole that window. Either some 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 people, there is a window opportunity. And I think that happens a lot with most of the uh, reality stars. But when yes. you are a comedian, when you're an actor, you know, you can go on forever. And one of my favorite things and what I love more is people like Joan Collins and Dame Judi Dench who are in their 70s and 80s who are still working, still hustling and still do, crafting, you know, I love that. Yeah, well, I think with, with my, I mean, my career especially and in comedy, I think it, with for very few people is it kind of an upward trajectory constantly mm. so there's been a few so like uh, Ramesh would be my generation's example of everything he's done he's gotten bigger 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 and bigger mm-hmm. whereas I'd say with me kind of you know I did a big show and then kind of plateaued and then probably went down a bit for a couple of years while I then went back and sort of earned my stripes doing other bits and pieces mm. and then kind of did a radio show slowly built back up again and then left that and then I've not been doing loads of telly for the last six months really or seven months I've kind of kind have gone back down into doing live work and in the clubs so for me it's not an upward thing it's very much like a roller coaster so I'll have a bit that peaks and it'll stay there for a while and then I'll go back down into doing something smaller again and then back up into something bigger which I think gives you a bit more reality and a bit more kind of like standing and hopefully gives you a longer career because I think you can be overexposed otherwise. Well yeah definitely and also I think as you say it gives you also an opportunity to breathe a bit because I think people who do go on that huge trajectory they are, they, you know, they can sometimes fall quite hard because they have been relentless in their way up. Absolutely. And also, if you have, you know, I think it's um, one of those things, if you have success after success after success after success after success, when you have a failure, it feels much worse than it actually yeah. is. Whereas I, I've had loads, I, I mean, my career is littered with failed TV shows and failed things like, which and when I remember the first time it happened, it was the worst thing in the world. But now when a show doesn't come back or doesn't do that well, I'm like, ah, oh, well, something else will come along. This wasn't the one that will be my thing, but mm. something will come along and, and it gives you a much better balance, I think, when it comes to those sort of, you know, those sort of moments where it's not good. Like, like for example, this year, I've probably been the quiet, like, I mean, obviously now I'm not even working uh, anymore. Um, But the beginning of this year is probably the quietest start of a year I've had for about eight years. And I wasn't panicking. I was just like, oh, this is nice. And then as the year's gone on, like, I've actually got a really busy end of the year if we're allowed to leave the house. Um, Because like, you know, you build stuff up and it's been nice having that rather than just constantly doing things and then panicking. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you say, you do it and then it's like, or, you know, I remember when it first started, you'd go for an audition or you'd go for a screen test, etc. And you wouldn't get it. And you'd be like, oh, my God, what's, when's the next thing going to happen? And Absolutely. if you now just like sit back and relax, it's it's easier. But I wanted to ask you as well about obviously yeah. we're in lockdown at the moment and this is where we're recording this. Uh, you know, I'm from Edinburgh, and I've obviously used to go to the festival all the time. Yes, you you, you, stu- you got you you know you've been there loads of times. It must it, the impact of this on young comedians who have spent all their time trying to get to the Edinburgh Fringe, and now suddenly it's not happening. It's going to have a real knock on effect, isn't it, in the whole world of entertainment? Y- yeah, it will. But you know what? I think if this had happened ten years ago it would have been a much bigger deal for comedians trying to make their name than now. There's mm-hmm. so many more ways to do it. And, you know, I know plenty of comics that were going up this year for their first show, kind of new comics, like a girl that supports me on tour, Lily Phillips, mm-hmm. but um, was going up this year and she'd worked really hard on it, but she's got another year to work on her show. Yeah. So it will be That's even true. better when she goes up next year. Um, but what I would say is um, people go on, t- people get on telly before their first shows. Like Lily's been on a bit of telly now. 
So it's not as career defining as it used to be. For some people, it still absolutely is. But like, I didn't do my first full fringe with a solo show until 2017. Like I, okay. I, I kind of got on TV before I'd done a solo show in Edinburgh. I went straight on tour um, up with my first uh, show. So it's because I'd done a, a load of telly. So it's sort of, it kind of, it isn't like it used to be where it was absolutely, you do Edinburgh, you have a good time and then you get on TV. It's sort of much murkier now. But um, okay. I, I mean, I, I would, if it was me going up, I wasn't going up this year anyway, but if I was and they'd cancelled it, I'd be elated. I find it really hard work. I don't enjoy it. But some people it's their you know it's their big earner for a lot of comedians like the people that do the big shows up at the thousand you know up at assembly hall or in the pleasant's grand they're making a quarter of a million that month so yeah and they're not people that could they're people that are big in edinburgh yeah you know, there's, there's this weird breed of comic um like say the jason burns and the danny boys of the world mm-hmm. who are huge in edinburgh melbourne adelaide and everywhere there's a big <laughs> festival and they sell a thousand tickets a night for a month and then that's um, but it. Then, but then, you know, I saw Jason Byrne do a tour date in a 2000 seat theatre to a couple of hundred people um, yeah. when he was selling a thousand tickets a night in Edinburgh. So for some people, that is their bread and butter and that is their world. So that would be difficult more so, I think, if, if you're reliant on the festivals for an income. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know what about, oh God, this must be about... 15 maybe 10 to 15 years ago I was with my friend and we went to Dara O'Brien yeah. in Edinburgh and this will this will be hurting his imposter syndrome because basically we saw them in a pizza place it's next to the playhouse we're in the pizza place afterwards and my friend went up to him and was like oh my god you're amazing and I just turned around and went, you're quite good and the whole of the table just went <gasps> like this in took a breath because yeah, I went yeah. you're quite good and my friend everyone was really sycophantic and I meant he was really good but I went you're quite good yeah like in this I'm sure I don't know what he'll have done but I, if someone said that to me with imposter syndrome I would have gone home going oh my god it's only quite good you know what though <laughs> I, I, I don't think that would be it. like if anyone came up to me after getting them I thought you were pretty good or I thought you were quite good I would still go that, that would still make my day because you know okay. the fact the fact that it was a positive is still yes. for someone with imposter syndrome you're like oh my god validation that's <laughs> Yes. Like I've had someone go to me before, uh, like it, it was all right. And I'm like, that's all I need. Brilliant. I should carry on. Um, whereas, yeah, I think because you're always picking about part of the bad things, even a quite good is a really nice compliment. Okay, I so I won't feel so guilty. I mean, I've held no. 10 years. So no, I won't never feel so guilty. <laughs> Listen, I want to say thank you so much for doing this. It's been brilliant oh, to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. It's so nice to talk to you. That's our show for today. I hope you liked it and found it both entertaining and enlightening. If you did, please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, give us a five-star review just to make us feel that we deserve it. Follow us on at PodPeopleUK, at Nick Ead, and at Matt Richardson 3. Imposter Syndrome was presented by me, Nick Ead, and produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. See you next time. Thank you to our sponsor, Fake Bake. Check out their amazing range of healthy self-tanning products on fakebake.com. Yes, that's fakebake.com.